Hello and welcome to the Rationable Podcast, your weekly deep dive into how science and critical thinking make you immune to scams, fads and hoaxes. I am your host, Abhijit. Let's dig in. Homeopathy, especially in India, is a treatment method in which a lot of people believe. In fact, in India, uh, it's one of the biggest markets for the homeopathic medicine industry, if not the largest. Plus, it's getting support from the government through the Ayush initiative. My parents gave me homeopathic treatments as a child, and they swear by it. In fact, most people do. There are college degrees for it, doctors that prescribe it. Infants and animals are said to benefit from it too. But does homeopathy really work? As I found out, it kinda does, but not in the way you think. For most of my life, I have taken it for granted that homeopathy worked. I don't know how or why, I just knew that my parents and most other people swore by it, so there had to be something to it. I was treated with homeopathy several times. In one case, it actually made things worse. The homeopathic doctor responded with, things sometimes have to get worse before they get better. I have to admit, as much as I wasn't impressed with that answer, I like the taste of the medicines. I mean, always a little sugary and sweet, and even that little bit of alcohol. I mean, what more does a kid need in life than to eat something sugary and sweet for medicine? It's, uh, it was only when I started becoming more of a science enthusiast that I realized that the rest of the scientific world didn't think that homeopathy worked. Richard Dawkins and James Randi were the first people I encountered who had publicly ridiculed homeopathy. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. How could this form of treatment be so ineffective and yet have millions of followers? It took me a while to get to the root of the question, does homeopathy work at all? I think the most comprehensive and interestingly told account was on a podcast called Skeptoid by Brian Dunning. It's an excellent collection of everything you need to know about homeopathy in just about 15 minutes. You really should check it out. So here's what I found out about how homeopathy came into existence. Back in the 1700s, the prevalent medical treatments of the time involved balancing the four humors. That's blood, phlegm, black bile and yellow bile. The prevailing theory was that sickness was caused by an imbalance of these humors, which wasn't at all funny because the way to balance them was primarily through bloodletting, leeching, or purging. They were all about somehow getting rid of some of the fluids to blame for the disease, whether it was the blood by opening a vein and letting it flow out of the victim, or slowly by using a leech. Enemas, vomiting, and sweating were other ways of getting rid of these diseases. Of course, these did work some of the time if the patient had a condition which called for such treatment, like a poisoning of the blood or, or food poisoning. However, many ended up dying due to malnutrition, dehydration, or loss of blood, or all of the above. Out of these archaic so-called medical practices, a German physician called Samuel Hahnemann found a treatment that didn't at all affect its patients adversely. He called it homeopathy. The theory was published in 1807 and it was governed by a couple of laws. One, the law of similars, which basically states that like cures like. He claimed that if you use a toxin 
that causes certain effects on a person, that same toxin can be used to alleviate those symptoms, but only if it was diluted very thoroughly. Which brings me to the second one, the law of infinite decimals. The more dilute the solution was, the more profound would be its ability to balance the humors. So as you can see, this does sound somewhat similar to how vaccines work, where a weaker version of the virus is injected into a person to teach the immune system to fight the disease. And vaccines work brilliantly. However, homeopathy is different in a very fundamental way. The solutions are so dilute, there's almost no chance that even a molecule of the original toxin remains in the final product. How? To show you how it works, I'll quote Brian Dunning from Skeptoid. He explains it particularly well. Dilutions of homeopathic products that are sold today usually range from 6x to 30x. This is homeopathy's system for measuring the dilution, and it doesn't mean one part in 6 or one part in 30. X represents the Roman numeral 10. A 6x dilution means one part in 10 to the 6th power, or 1 in 1 million. A 30x dilution means one part in 10 to the 30th power, or 1 followed by 30 zeros. A few products are even marketed using the C scale, Roman numeral 100. 30C is 100 to the 30th power. That's a staggering number. It's 1 followed by 60 zeros, about the number of atoms in our galaxy. In 1807, they knew more about mathematics and chemistry than they did about medicine, and it was known that there is a maximum dilution possible in chemistry. Some decades later, it was learned that this proportion is related to Avogadro's constant, about 6 times 10 to the 23rd power. Beyond this limit, where many of Hahnemann's dilutions lay, they are in fact no longer dilutions, but are chemically considered to be pure water. So Hahnemann designed a workaround. Hahnemann thought that if a solution was agitated enough, the water would retain a spiritual imprint of the original substance, and could then be diluted without limit. The water is often added to sugar pills for remedies designed to be taken in a pill form. So when you buy homeopathic pills sold today, you're actually buying sugar, water, or alcohol that's channeling, for lack of a better term, some described substance. The substance itself no longer remains, except for a few millionth part molecules in the lowest dilutions. Let's look again at Avogadro's number. 6 times 10 to the 23rd atoms is called a mole, a term any chemistry student is familiar with. How big is that number? Well, if you had 500 sheets of paper, you'd have a stack about 2.5 inches high, like a ream that you'd buy at the stationery store. If you had 6 times 10 to the 23rd sheets of paper, your stack would reach all the way from the Earth to the Sun. And not only that, it would reach that distance 400 million times. Think about that for a moment. One sheet of paper in a stack that's 400 million times the distance from the Earth to the Sun. That's a typical homeopathic dilution. Sounds pretty potent, doesn't it? Quackwatch has another way of putting it. Here's an excerpt from their article Homeopathy, The Ultimate Fake by Stephen Barrett, M.D. 
Robert L. Park, Ph.D., a prominent physicist who is the executive director of the American Physical Society, has noted that since the least amount of a substance in a solution is one molecule, a 30C solution would have to have at least one molecule of the original substance dissolved in a minimum of one followed by 60 zeros molecules of water. This would require a container more than 30 billion times the size of the earth. That's really hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? To put it in simpler terms, the amount of dilution any substance goes through in homeopathy makes it almost impossible to find even a single molecule of the original material in the final product. Simpler still, none of the original substance will find its way into your regime of treatments. According to Hahnemann, the process of diluting and shaking the concoction, which is also called potentization, imprints the essence of the substance onto the water molecules, which then interacts with the body's vital force. It does sound a bit spiritual, doesn't it? So, is homeopathy a spiritual medicine? It certainly seems so, even though I don't think many people would believe that. However, there is another explanation that I've heard. Apparently, water can remember or retain the spiritual imprint of the substance that's been in it. And that is what helps treat you. A French scientist by the name of Jacques Benveniste published a study in the science journal Nature in 1988. This caused quite a ruckus in the scientific community as it didn't seem plausible. But as the study methodology seemed sound, the journal published it. But it did come with a note from the editor, John Maddox, asking people to suspend judgment until the study was replicated. In brief, the study took human antibodies, put them in a test tube, shook it thoroughly, and then diluted it to a point where not even a molecule of the first sample would be present. The team reported that when human basophils were exposed to this water, they reacted as if there was an allergic reaction basically signaling that those antibodies were somehow present there. When the time came, John Maddox, along with magician and paranormal researcher James the Amazing Randy and Walter W. Stewart, a chemist, set up the study. They noticed that Benveniste's team knew where the vials with the first solutions were. Therefore, they decided to make the study double-blinded, meaning none of the researchers or the team from Nature would possibly know which test tubes or vials was which, and went to elaborate lengths to ensure there was no cheating. Long story short, the study came out negative, showing no effects at all. Benveniste's study had been debunked. There have literally been hundreds of studies done to test homeopathy. Every single meta-analysis and systematic review of the research published has come back with results claiming homeopathy works no better than a placebo. There are quite a few studies that showed homeopathy is better than placebo, but after analyzing them, it was found that either their sample sizes were tiny or their methods were questionable. There are way too many studies and reviews to go into each of them or even describe them in brief. However, the entry in Wikipedia has an excellent overview of the evidence along with all the links to the studies if you want to dig deeper. So why do so many people swear by homeopathy? This is probably the most critical question here. After my faith in homeopathy had been shaken, 
I shared what I had found, hoping my friends would see that they had been fooled just like I had been. I wasn't ready for the responses. They defended homeopathy quite aggressively. It felt like I had offended them by saying that their beloved alternative medicine didn't have any evidence behind it. However, I want nothing more than to share what I found and ask you to consider the evidence. So, if I've angered or offended you in some way, and you think homeopathy does indeed work, let's have a civil discussion about where you think I've gone wrong. Still, let's try and figure out why it seems to work so well. The first could be the placebo effect. This is a very profound and slightly mysterious phenomenon. The placebo effect is when a sick person feels better when they have been given a fake treatment. A few examples of this are sugar pills, saline drips or injections, or even sham surgeries. It's been found that these treatments really do help patients feel better. The more severe the intervention, the more profound the effect. However, it's essential to remember that the effects are temporary. If the patient has a chronic condition or a severe disease that is not going away, the sickness will eventually return. And not everyone feels the effect of a placebo. That's why medicines are tested in randomized controlled trials. Randomized meaning that there's a random selection of people participating in the test. Controlled meaning people are assigned to get either a placebo or the real medicine in such a way that neither the testers nor the people in the trial know which one they're getting. Then the scientists unveil the results and see which people got the placebo and which didn't. If the group who got the real medicine showed marked improvement, the medicine being tested is a success. If not, it's deemed only as effective as a placebo and rejected. Of course, these trials have to be done multiple times by independent groups on different populations over a long period before the medicine is allowed to come to market. The high-quality studies that tested homeopathy and RCTs found that they were no better than placebo, which means they don't really have any significant effect at all. Regression towards the mean. We sometimes suffer from conditions that may not have a cause. They come and they go. For example, headaches, allergies, rashes or itches, etc. These are usually the natural processes and reactions of the body and they tend to go away. If you have a sudden acute response to something, it could get aggressive and then subside and disappear. If you have a chronic condition that lasts for a long time, there will be time when it gets better and then becomes worse. Regression towards the mean is what this natural variation is called. If you have a homeopathic remedy and your symptoms subside, it could either be a placebo effect or merely a regression towards the mean. The therapeutic benefits of consultation. A consultation with a doctor is a significant thing. All too often, doctors are more concerned with how many patients they see rather than how much time they spend with each one. Quantity over quality is usually a bad idea when it comes to your doctor. I, for one, have had the misfortune of having to go to doctors quite frequently. I most certainly prefer a doctor who asks me questions about my symptoms and understands what's causing them. He or she might then explain the method of treatment they feel is best and how it could affect me. This makes me feel cared for and I usually stick to my medications more strictly. This feeling is also strongly associated with how well the placebo effect works. 
homeopathic and other alternative medicine practitioners have a very caring way of talking to their patients. The meetings are usually long and cordial, going into the details of everyday life along with the symptoms. This could be another reason why homeopathic consultations feel much more hospitable than a modern medical consultation. And I really think more medical doctors need to learn from this. Confirmation bias. Now, when I was biased about the ketogenic diet, it seemed that everywhere I looked, I found evidence that confirmed my belief that keto worked. When one is convinced about an idea, the mind selectively finds reasons to enforce it. Similarly, it's likely that firm believers in homeopathy would count all the times the treatment made them feel better, but subconsciously forget the times it didn't. Another reason could be misdiagnosis. It's also possible that a misdiagnosed condition could make it seem more severe than it is. And then, when you got better, you gave homeopathy the credit. Standard medicine. Many people take conventional medicine along with homeopathy if they believe in it. Doctors are reluctant to stop them from taking it because if it makes the patients feel better, even if it's due to the placebo effect, it's worth it because it could help them stick to their prescriptions. Of course, when you get cured, chances are you'll give homeopathy the credit rather than the medication. Another reason for homeopathy to feel like it's working could be the stopping of an unpleasant treatment. Sometimes, treatments for specific diseases can have unpleasant side effects. If someone ends that treatment and uses homeopathy instead, the side effects will wear off. And as homeopathy has no known side effects, it will get the credit for making them feel better. And of course, natural healing is another great reason why people give the credit to homeopathy. Thanks to our immune systems and other healing processes in our bodies, many disorders can be healed by the body naturally. If one takes homeopathy and the body heals itself in the meanwhile, of course the former gets all the praise. Now, some have said that homeopathy treated an infant or a pet. Since they don't know what homeopathy is, how can they possibly be susceptible to the placebo effect? As I said before, the placebo effect can vary due to many reasons. Not only does its efficacy change based on what medicines you believe you're having, but it's also susceptible to more subconscious cues like confirmation bias and how caring the doctor is. Similarly, when a child or a pet is given a homeopathic remedy, the way they are treated by the parent or the master could also affect how they feel. Especially when they are cuddled or cared for, they would feel better. Don't you remember that, you know, like when you were a child and your mother pampered you when you were sick? Didn't that make you feel better? Same thing. Another critical factor is the parent's confirmation bias. If they are sure the remedy is helping, chances are they'll see an improvement in their child's or pet's condition, even if there isn't one. Plus, the other factors I mentioned earlier also play parts here, and none of those are dependent on the child or the pet's awareness of the medicine. Homeopathy is said to be a holistic form of treatment, where the patient's body, mind and spirit are taken into account. Even their daily routine, diet, work life and other factors are considered when consulting a homeopath. On the other hand, proponents of homeopathy and other alternative medicines say that modern medicine treats only the symptoms and not the root cause of the disease. 
I feel many people take this idea for granted without really thinking about it. Modern medicine is a systematic process where patients are asked questions about their conditions and how long they have persisted. Based on this, the patient may need to get some tests done to confirm or deny the doctor's suspicions. These tests can reveal the root cause and the treatment can be prescribed accordingly. For example, if you go to a doctor with a fever, he or she will ask you about it and based on your other symptoms like maybe a cough or a cold or an upset stomach, get in the ballpark of the kind of infection you have. If it's a bacterial infection, they'll give you an antibiotic to kill the germs. If it's a viral without any known treatment like the flu, they'll probably treat it symptomatically to make sure the fever stays down. If you have something more extreme like cancer, they might recommend surgery to get the cancerous cells out of you or to kill it with chemotherapy or radiation. That's going down to the root cause. On the other hand, the homeopath will have an in-depth consultation, but the treatments they give you will be formulated based only on the symptoms. They will find a toxin that causes similar symptoms and then dilute it down to nothingness before they give it to you. From whatever I've read, there seems to be little or no regard for specific germs, cancers, viruses, or any other root causes for diseases taken into consideration. In fact, the germ theory of disease hadn't even been formulated back when homeopathy was first thought up by Hahnemann. How can they possibly claim to get to the root cause of any disease? A lot of people say modern medicine has side effects. And they do. There's no denying it. All medicines have side effects. If you look at the little leaflet inside the box or even look it up online, any drug you search for will have a list of side effects, some short, some long, and they will be divided by how common they are, as well as advice to see your physician if you experience any of these. You see, every medicine goes through the long process of RCTs to uncover their effects and side effects in petri dishes in the lab, to animal studies and human studies, which are conducted on a large population. This is to figure out what the effects and side effects are. The medicine that goes on the shelf is usually one that has the lowest side effects versus the most potent effects. Even if you look at chemotherapy, a treatment we all know to be harrowing for the patients, the sickness, the hair falling out, the loss of appetite and so on are all preferable to dying. People go through chemotherapy to kill cancer in the most effective ways possible while still giving the patient a fighting chance to survive. On the other hand, paracetamol or crocin as you might know it are pretty safe or so we think. We pop them without a thought if we have a headache or a fever and they do have side effects. Here's what I found on drugs.com. Rare side effects. Bloody or black tarry stools, bloody or cloudy urine, fever with or without chills, not present before treatment and not caused by the condition being treated, pain in the lower back and or side, severe and or sharp, pinpoint red spots on the skin, skin rash, hives or itching, sore throat, not present before the treatment and not caused by the condition being treated, sores, ulcers or white spots in the lips or in the mouth, sudden decrease in the amount of urine, unusual bleeding or bruising, unusual tiredness or weakness, yellow eyes or skin. As you can see, these are pretty rare and most people won't be affected by any of it. 
but it's important to know about these just in case you are the one in the million who does. Dr. Shantanu Abhyankar, a renowned practicing obstetrician and gynecologist based in Y, Maharashtra, talked about this in his TEDx Picked Talk. In fact, modern medicine has devised methods to document, study, and as far as possible, mitigate these side effects. We are open, we are frank, which is not the case with many of these other pathies. And come to think of it, side effects need to be compared with what you're going to use that particular product for. Oral contraceptive pills have side effects, but then you have to compare the side effects of the oral contraceptive pills with the side effects of not using oral contraceptive pills. If you use oral contraceptive pills, you get contraceptive action and a few side effects. But if you don't use them, then maybe you're faced with an unwanted pregnancy. You have to undergo the trouble of eliminating that unwanted pregnancy or add in the socioeconomic burden of continuing an unplanned pregnancy. Finally, not all side effects are bad. Take the same example of oral contraceptive pills. Women who take oral contraceptive pills are protected against endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, and so many other disorders. Women who take oral contraceptive pills have less menstrual blood flow, which is a boon to already anemic Indian women. So it's not that all side effects are bad. In fact, when somebody claims that a pathy doesn't have any side effects, it probably means there are no effects at all. Or it probably means there is no drug at all. Now, the big pharma conspiracy theories are at another level. According to some, modern medicine is just a profit-centered industry bent on keeping you sick. Alternative therapies like homeopathy are nobler and want the best for you and not for their pockets. However, there are massive multinational profit-led homeopathic companies as well. And they get their merchandise stocked in major pharmacies worldwide. In India, the market for homeopathy, according to one source, is rupees 2,758 crores and a predicted growth rate of 30% each year. Sure, it's nowhere close to mainstream pharmaceuticals, but it seems to be changing. They don't sound like the underdog to me, especially when they are being promoted by the government so aggressively through the Ayush initiative. Now, you might have noticed how I've avoided the use of the word allopathy in this article. The term is used to describe mainstream medicine. Now, Dr. Shantanu Abhyankar describes the origins of this word first coined by Samuel Hahnemann. He coined allopathy as a derogatory word to describe the practices that were prevalent then. The practices were very bad. Allopathy means the hodgepodge mixtures being administered to cure whatever conditions came your way. Usually bloodletting was very common and was offered for every disorder. But then, over the years, keeping in step with science, allopathy has completely changed. And what allopathy was described for the practices then prevalent is a total misfit term today. Today's allopathy is no allopathy at all. Modern medicine has come so far from its archaic practices. This is because in the pursuit of finding the secrets of human health, medicine has used science to ascertain what works and what doesn't. In this process, our life expectancy 
has soared and infant deaths have been minimized. Many diseases have even been considered eradicated. Now, AIDS is no longer a death sentence and neither is cancer. This is all because of scientific progress and the evolution of evidence-based medicine. Now, here I am, a decade later, seeing homeopathy from a completely different perspective than what I used to. It's probably one of the most profound discoveries in my life and has been one of the factors that has led me to question everything, including, most importantly, myself. Now, homeopathy has become one of the most studied fields in the world, with an impenetrable mountain of evidence that is piled up against its claims. These studies have been done by many independent teams and analyzed and reviewed by some of the most reliable scientific organizations in the world. There's no denying it. There is no evidence for it working. Ever. Why? Because it's just water. And if it's brought into contact with sugar, it's supposed to somehow transfer its memories to it? The more I think about it, the more implausible it sounds. And it's not just me. Many government bodies like the UK's National Health Service, the American Medical Association, the FASEB, and National Health and Medical Research Council of Australia have stated that there is no evidence to support the use of homeopathic treatments. Even representatives of the WHO have said that homeopathic remedies should not be used to treat tuberculosis or diarrhea. So what do you think? Is it worth your time and money to buy water and sugar pills that have shown no evidence of working? Or would you instead go to a regular doctor and get real medication that has a good chance of treating you? I, for one, will be going to the latter. Now, here are some critical tools I used to figure out the facts in homeopathy. I looked for reliable sources. The most critical tools I used to get to the bottom of the topic was to find as many reliable sources that I could find who spoke about homeopathy. They were all linked to the relevant sections in the article. What makes them reliable? They consistently interpret real scientific evidence to support their statements and reviews. Independent sources. I also looked for sources that are not associated with one another, so there is little to no chance of this information being propaganda. I also looked at conflicting sources. I've tried to find sources that are pro-homeopathic so that I can see if their evidence is any more compelling than the other side. This adds a level of falsifiability to the claims and simultaneously challenges my beliefs. Tell me what you think by writing in. And until next time, I wish you good health and rationable thoughts. To check out the blog version of this episode, as well as the citations and references used, please go to rationable.wordpress.com. This podcast was written and produced by me, Abhijit, and edited by myself and Liz Wolf. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, ideas, or suggestions, please write to me at contact.rationable at gmail.com or tweet at berationable. Until next time, keep digging deeper and, of course, be rational.